Loaded sport. Does he sit second, man? No, I don't I think he does. I think Kevin Keegan probably sits second. Oh, God, <laughs> what a scandal. Austin Eckler versus the cards. Go and fuck the lot of you. <laughs> Tom Naylor's going to be the nailed on holding midfielder, so it's just too good. Unbelievable. Hello, and welcome to episode 73 of Loaded Sport. We've had 72 episodes so far, and finally, we've figured it out, lads. We are all on the screen at the same time. Fuck you! (laughs) No more need to mess about and talk to try and get on. Or awkward cuts between people laughing in and runs controversial. Look at Aggie, he's positively beside himself. Look Look at his face. Calm down, Aggie, calm down. (laughs) So now, now, we have tested this and... If if this comes out tomorrow and it is just one person on the screen, this means nothing. But we did test it, me and Sam, last week once we thought we'd finally cracked it. So for once, finally, well and truly, we're going to have to behave for the next hour to an hour and a half. And I'm not quite sure how we will cope. The body no parts chance. will have to stay within our clothes. The pictures will have to remain off screen. Let's see who will crack first. But anyway, you can see who's here. But what would it be if we didn't introduce everybody? So, Ken, you are top left on my screen, mate, and hopefully to everyone else as well. Talk us through that lovely shade of pink you're wearing this evening and how your week's been so far. Top right on mine, buddy. Top right. But yeah, doing well, mate. Doing well, thank you. Not bad at all. It's been been a humongous week. Um, It really, really has. And that'll be a bit more context to that in a few weeks' time. But... um, it's just been so busy. I've been so fucking rammed. Work's been falling on top of me everywhere. Uh, but oh. you know what? Oh, it's Thursday night. It's nearly the weekend. We're back on with the boys. We're all on screen. Um, and this obviously is the Sheffield United Awake It from when we first got promoted into the Premier League, I think 2019 20. Uh, and finished as well as we did. I believe it was ninth place that season. And I don't think I'll ever see it as good as that. But there you go. How are you, mate? You okay? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I think that season you were you, you mentioned the ninth place, which in, in context or just top line is great. But I think you're on track for some Champions League football at one point until lockdown hit, weren't you? But uh, we, we were all starting to get very excited slash very scared. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But to answer your last question, mate, I'm all right. Very much like yourself. It's been a very busy week, um, work wise and personal wise. It's Thursday night. We've hit that checkpoint. Of, we've hit record, so we know the weekend's on the horizon. So I'm looking forward to this next hour or so. Hearing your questions, hearing the answers, hearing what ridiculous stats that uh, Aggie's got prepared to justify his picks. He's he's found the right destination, but he's finding the fucking loopiest ways of getting there. But anyway, we'll, we'll get to that later on, I'm sure. Speaking of Aggie, Aggie, you look like you're wearing a bit of a McLaren orange tonight. Have we potentially got a Formula One-related question on the horizon? But uh, we'll get to that, obviously. But how's your week been, mate? And my week's been pretty much like your guys, to be fair, quite chaotic. Um, but thankfully, we're reaching the back end of it now and we can get looking forward to the weekend. I've got this weekend off from work, but I'll talk more about that later. So, yeah, uh, all been uh, pretty busy this week. But, yeah, good to be back on uh, on Loaded Sport Podcast and uh, with us all on view as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm like Kemp, I'm excited slash scared because uh, I'm not quite sure. It's it, My money is all on Sam. I've put everything <laughs> I, I've got. So my name on Sam being the first one to expose body parts or inappropriate pictures. But speaking of the man, Sam, I've got three questions for you, mate. First of all, how are you? Second of all, how's your week been? And third of all, do you think you can keep those body parts and pictures contained for the next 60 to 90 minutes? Uh, to answer them from reverse order, absolutely not. Um, it's been um, okay, not good, not bad, and 
Uh, yeah, I'm all right, mate. It's uh, as we say, it's Thursday. It's nearly the uh, nearly the weekend, so I'm uh, I'm ready to get discussing some uh, some sporting topics. Well, I've um, I've spun the wheel, mate. And last week you were the first person to kick us off in the new era, the new and improved loaded sport. And you're looking forward to getting stuck into it. Landed on you first again, mate. Oh, so kick us off. My question for this um, this new topic that we are about to discuss is: if you could change or invent one rule in football, what would it be? Now, I'll go first, um, and mine would be to introduce a salary cap to the Premier League. Um, I don't know how how you boys feel about this. I, I'm not I'm not sat there and I've not got a load of stats uh, written down for this one. I wanted this mine to be a bit more of a discussion. Um, so the, the the gap between your Lutons and your Man City is probably never well. It's never been as big as the gap between the the, the poorest team and the richest team in the Premier League. So yeah, um, yeah I, I think I think a salary cap would be a, a great idea to um, to enhance competition to keep the things fair. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's mine. So I'm just going to set the ball rolling with that, and I'm going to come to Kemp. You've unmuted your mic, Skin. I'll. Uh, what, what you, you, do you have anything to add on the topic? Yeah, just you mentioned the salary cap. Um, obviously, we we watch a lot of NFL, and and that has the salary cap and works quite well in terms of how they try to even the playing field. You know, salary caps are in place so not one team can just go and buy the best players, whether through trades or whatever. Um, obviously, the draft works in a reverse order sense, so the in theory, the worst teams from the previous year get priority picks when it comes to the players coming out of college. Obviously, we don't have the benefit of that in football slash soccer and certainly not in the Premier League. Players sign um, from clubs all over the world at any point in their career and come through academies. So what kind of salary cap would you do you think is realistic? Because you mentioned there the gap between Man City and Luton. If we're saying that we're going to say whatever Luton's max spend is, that's the salary cap to make sure it's fair. That is then obviously a massive drop from a, the majority of other clubs in the league to come down to. So as sort of a level, where where do you think that that salary cap should or, or would come in? Um, I probably would be looking at around the... 150 to 200 grand mark I think I think oh, so you talk, so you're talking purely on wage spend salary yeah purely yeah. a salary cap um I'm not sure I'd feel about a, a spending cap on players um yeah. I think sorry that... I thought you just meant across the board like, like... That's, what, no. that's what I, for the record that's what I thought you meant as well right fair enough no an actual so like, salary I thought cap. you meant like wage bill so like man United's wage bill yeah, yeah, that. Okay. Yeah, I, I yeah. don't mean. I don't mean. Sorry, I don't mean uh, transfer fees. I don't mean transfer okay. fees at all. I just mean purely a players' wages. So I think That's... Dawson's question there is that if, if let's say, for example, all of Luton's players collectively as a group in their entire squad, their registered squad, all of their contracts, all of their salaries per week come up to let's say a million, for example, right? And Man City's current squad, their current squad who spend the most, their current salary per week comes up to six million. Where where do we what do we do? Where do we draw the line? What should the cap be to make sure that Luton have still not got that massive unfair advantage that they've got now, but City don't have to literally cull off their team to make the salary cap requirements? I think that's what you were getting at, Dawson. I'm not well, quite it, sure. Well, it, yeah, yes, no. I mean, at that level there, Sam mentioned sort of 150 to 200 grand a week, which then kind of links into what you said there. So let's say, for example, next year, next season, it's a 200 grand a week um, cap. Luton, in theory, aren't in a position to still no. be able to afford that. So they're, they're still going to be that gap there, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it is, and again, that, that's why that's why it is such an interesting question because I, I don't know I don't know how it would personally be enforced myself. Um, I don't know I don't know whether it'd be you know sharing rights between the Sky Money a bit more evenly, um, and then again, I know you get your bigger teams turn around saying the, the majority of the reason people are buying Sky is for them and it's their yeah. their fan base. So I get that there's an argument to you know for that, but I think to try and destabilize this monopoly of money on the league i think that that for me would be probably the best uh, best idea in, in terms of some kind of cap uh, but i i wouldn't have a clue I, i'm not going to lie i wouldn't have a clue on how to actually enforce that other than just sharing sharing the rights between the team a little bit a little bit more evenly i think for me i think that's the best the best way to do it would be literally that wage spend so your wage bill per week it'll go from top of the premier league to bottom man city will spend about five and a half six million pound a week on their wages luton will probably spend about 750k or a million or something like that and i think the way to do it is is by bringing city down maybe year on year saying the maximum amount of wage bill you can spend per week this season is five and a half mil. Next season, it's 5.25. Next season, it's five. Next season, it's 4.75. And get down to a point where the maximum wage bill you can you can spend on players gets to three and a half, four mil or something like that. And then as it goes on, as the seasons go on, the salary cap can increase like it does in the NFL, right? Mm. And, and it will do because of inflation and things that, that are out of sporting control. I think the biggest thing and the, the biggest criticism and maybe the reason that it's not done is that it will mean that when the Italian league gets off its arse, when the Spanish league gets off its arse in terms of finances, there is a huge chance that top Premier League clubs will miss out on the big players because Real Madrid will be able to say, well, we can spend whatever and and you can't because you've got your salary cap. So I think that's what's going to put people off doing it in the Premier League as a club because you're not going to get the big players. Therefore, you're not going to get as much in right fees. Therefore, you're not going to get as much in merchandise. And as we know, football's all about money. So I agree, Sam. As a team that's rock bottom of the Premier League right now because we can't compete on spending, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. But I think, in theory, it's a bit utopian. Um, yeah, and it's no, I agree. I would love for that to come in. I really would, and I agree with you. I, do agree. I agree with you. I'd just like to get Aggie's thoughts on this very quickly because I know we're talking about the Premier League, but obviously he's a Chesterfield fan in the National League and they are benefiting from at the moment from the investment that has gone into their squad and obviously clubs at that level are you know much more sort of concerned with what they spend or what they have to spend so Aggie supporting a team that are in a league where they're currently benefiting from having that extra money to spend and being able to bring in you know a higher caliber manager coaching team supporting staff players on the field as well what do you think about that because Kemp's mentioned there being a sort of at the bottom of that and, and wanting to see that gap close, whereas you're at the other end of that in your league because you're benefiting from having that extra money. What are your thoughts on, the, on that? I'd be all for a salary cap, even if it is something that takes place in the National League. But I do think it's something that if you're going to implement in the Premier League, it's going to eventually have to fall all the way down. So go down the Championship, League One, League Two, and obviously so on and so forth. I do agree with Kemp's point, though, and it's something that I were thinking about while you guys were chatting about it that eventually it's just going to push some of the bigger-named players out of the Premier League and put people off, which will then lose the Premier League standard. And then, of course, the rights that the teams will get paid for, you know, Sky, BT, etc., or, or whatever they're known as now, you know, I think that will really put players off from joining and then it will devalue the Premier League itself. So it's something that would really need to be thought through and on point to be able to be a success. And for clubs like Sheffield United, Luton, you know, the sides towards the bottom that can't compete on spending, it'd be, you know, a godsend. But then you've got to look at the sides like Man City that would have to take a bit of a, a hit on it. And you think of some of those players there. I mean, Man City probably got one or two players that just together make up more than Sheffield United's entire wage budget. You know, that's how big it is and that's how big the difference is going to have to be. So, 
yeah, I agree with Kemp's point that it's going to put people off the Premier League and might might have that sort of negative impact. But do you not think though that making the product better, as in more competitive, more entertaining, and more of a more of a chat every game, you're not knowing as so much. Man City v Burnley or Man City v Sheffield United at minute is pretty much a foregone conclusion, and and it, it maybe wouldn't be the case if it, if there was some kind of structure in wages in place. Do you not think we profit that way? I think within England, we would. I think within England, people would probably look at it and think, yeah, but you're looking at international um, viewers now. They're not going to be watching your TNT or your Sky to be able to watch these teams unless you've got an Erling Ireland, a Kevin De Bruyne, you know, a Mo Salah playing within the Premier League. Man City, Liverpool would probably lose some of that value if those three players aren't playing. And whilst we'd look at it as neutrals, think, you know, this could be a big game for the Premier League title, looking at it from, you know, your France, Italy, Spain, they're not going to look at it from the same aspect and it's going to lose yeah. a lot of international viewers. I, I completely agree. And it's not just international viewers, but it'll be social media as well. The social media engagement of the Premier League will just fall off a cliff because it's, it's hard and it's it's you know it's all these massive name players it's salary and all that if there was a salary cap introduced these massive massive stars not, some of them would still come to the premier league and teams would have to work that out but a lot of them wouldn't and therefore the 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 attention that the premier league gets from maybe a younger fan base on social media that they're not really fans of football teams they're fans of harland they're fans of salary they're fans of these big name players and and if we've not got that that will in turn have a negative effect on who, like how many people watch the Premier League. For us, football fans in England, fans that, yeah, Holland's an amazing player, but couldn't really give two shits because I'm a Sheffield United fan and I want us to do well. For us, it'd be ideal. It'd be utopia. But for us, we don't, you know, the, the, the social media clicks, the TV rights deals, they're really what grease the Premier League team's pockets. So it's the trade-off in it. You know, they traded off the interest of fans a long, long time ago. And and if they did something like this, it'd be, you know, putting it back in the fans' hands and it just doesn't seem like that's something they'd want to do. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, boys. Thank you very much for your opinions. I did want to open up into a bit of a discussion. I think that was uh, quite interesting to hear all your thoughts there. Um, so, yeah, obviously back to the initial question. If you could change one rule or invent a rule in football, what would it be? I'm going to start with you, Kemp. What, uh, what rule would you be, mate? Yeah, so this season so far, and to be fair, Every season ever since the rule was invented, probably 100 years ago, um, offsides, they've always been an issue. They've always been a problem and a, and a controversy. At the minute, we're waiting, <clears throat> it seems like half an hour at times to find out what an offside decision is at the moment, right? Um, so for me, I would implement a rule where not only would I bring in semi-automatic VAR, which we've talked about before, um, but the offside player would need to be offside by a full body's length in terms of so their the most sort of far back part of their body, let's say it's their back foot, okay, that has to be offside. That has to be in front of the player that's playing them offside. Does that make sense? The yeah. whole player has to be offside. The, the, the whole player has Day, to be offside. I think you're looking at daylight there, aren't you? Daylight between the, the, the daylight heel. Rule. The daylight yeah. rule is absolutely right. So if your back heel is, is past the defending player's, you know, front hand or, or front heel or front toe or whatever then you'd be offside. But apart from that, you're onside. We don't see any advantage to the front man we don't, or player. We don't see any advantage to the attacking team. You know, the offside is just such a fucking... It's such a stop-start thing these days because of the, the lack of ability to use the technology that we've got. So for me, it'd be clear daylight. The entire player's body, all the anatomy would have to be offside and there would be semi-automatic VAR to bring that in to make sure that that's, uh, that's enforced. What what are our thoughts on that? Yeah. Any pitfalls to that? 
a little bit, yeah, a little bit. So to be honest, this was a similar thing, a similar answer to the question that I brought up, and I ended up changing it to the uh, to the salary cap one. And my and my initial thought was to do it by feet, just by feet. So and and not not what you're saying. So the heel, it's just literally if your toes offside with the defender's toe, if you're out of line, you're offside. You don't matter if your shoulders, you lean forward, your head's offside. If it just look at the feet, if the feet is a clear line, you're offside. My only issue with your way of doing it is. And this is going to sound a bit fruity and a bit weird, but you know you've you've got different. I mean, look at someone like Aggie. He's got the fucking arse like Kim Kardashian. <laughs> He's like, you've got players have got different body shapes, and, and you're all of a sudden. I think, I think you're getting into a dicey position with your lines again, and I think you're going to need to put some kind of line. And just uh, thingy offside, automated offside is hundred percent the way to go. That is the way to go. But I think with if you if you're measuring the back of somebody, you've then got to try and create a bit of a line between where that back is. And is his back sticking a bit further back than his heel? You know what I mean? Is his, is his head leaning back or is he leaning forward? So I think yeah. for me, yeah. is if, if yeah. you just do it by foot, I think it's quite kind of black and white. But I do get what you're saying, but I do think it would also introduce the line situation again. Yeah, I guess so. And I do sort of see what you're saying. And to be fair, I wouldn't mind your version of events either. I really wouldn't mind that. That'd be absolutely fine with me. I think that the reason I say the full body is just because if you've got somebody sprinting forward and, you know, the defending players kind of lean back for whatever reason, try to, you know, he's off balance or whatever it might be. I just think it's fair. I just think it's in the interest of fairness that if, if, if any part of your body overlaps with the player next to you, then I think that is the fairest, honestly, possible way of doing it. I know f- the thing is with feet, you're going to be measuring toes and you're going to be seeing whose toes are... Yeah, well, yeah, fuck that, fuck that cunt. You're going to be measuring like whose toe is in front of which toe. That's that's the problem. And yeah, then that's, gonna... that's it, yeah. And then you're going to get lines maybe even with that. So the semi-automatic VAR is a really, really important part of it because in my opinion, and, and I might be wrong, people with, who understand the technology better than me might get it better, but it's going to be quite obvious to see, right, okay, motion capture, which part, is, does any part of that player overlap with that player? And, and there'll be like a red hotspot maybe if a player does overlap. And then if not, there'll be no hotspot and then it'll be offside. So for me, I just think it would be easier to implement with the technology. Like, a, again, like a Venn diagram. Exactly that. <clears throat> I put it better myself. You're a walking thesaurus. Um <laughs> So, yeah, that's the way that I would do it. And and again, I think the semi-automatic VAR is crucial to that because then you start having referees start measuring arses and, you know, Ag's fuming enough at referees and officials <laughs> as it is. We don't want him, we don't want him getting tape measure out on his arse. So, uh, yeah. his, his rule is to get rid of referees, just a little spoiler alert. <laughs> but... uh, no, anyway. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, that's fair, mate. It is a good one, to be fair. And as I say, it was one that I, I did think about having something similar myself. Uh, Skin, we'll, uh, we'll go to you next, mate. Coming to me, mate. So uh, this is something that it uh, is highlighted. It's only really something I've took notice of um, in the last sort of 18 months or so for reasons we'll get into. But also there was something that was highlighted on a mainstream level as well. And that is the current structure of the National League leading into League Two. So currently in League Two, three teams get automatically promoted with a fourth team going up through the playoffs um, and three teams, uh, sorry, two teams get relegated. So four teams go up, three of them automatically and two teams get relegated. In the National League, one team goes up automatically by being champions and then one team goes up through the playoffs of which six teams go into that playoffs and then four teams 
are relegated. And it was something that was highlighted last season by Ryan Reynolds. Aggie, I know you've had a lot to say about your hatred of Wrexham all of a sudden getting mainstream attention and televised games and all the things like that. But following that absolute classic game against Notts County late on in the season, which was a real sort of title contender, he highlighted post-match the fact that it's quite unfair on Notts County that they've had this incredible season they're pushing 100 points at that point, obviously got there in the end, and that they wouldn't be going up automatically in Notts County in the end, scraping past in the playoff final to go up after beating Chesterfield on penalties. So it's quite right, because if four teams are going up in League 2, League 1, three teams go up, two in the championship, uh, two automatically, one in the playoffs. In the championship, three teams go up, two automatically, one in the playoffs. Why is League 2 any different? Why are four teams coming down from League One, four teams going up from League Two, but then you've got two teams going down into non-league and then one team only going up in the, in the National League? It, it just seems unfair and it seems like a bit of gatekeeping. Now, the biggest issue is the fact that you would assume that the league clubs would have to vote on this for this to pass. Mm. And why would they vote, vote mm. for an extra chance of them going into non-league football? That's the problem. But for me, there is a serious issue with gatekeeping here because why... Again, why are four teams going up from League Two, but then only one coming up and only two going down? That doesn't make sense. So for me, it would be increasing, uh, it would be uh, changing the the system from League One to League Two. Only two going up automatically, one going up through the playoffs, same as League One, same as the Championship, and then three go down um, in relegation again, like the Premier League, like the Championship, uh, and so on and so forth. And then two going up automatically from the National League, one being champions, one being runners-up, and then one going up through the playoffs in the same system that there is further up the league. I just, it, like I said, I, 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 you obviously know the reason is it's a bit of greed and, and everything else, and I don't know how long that system's been in place, but only really sort of took notice of it through watching Chesterfield now and going to a lot of games, obviously tracking their promotion chances last season. Uh, and again, it's been highlighted with that uh, race between Wrexham and Notts County. But for me, it's just a, a bit of greed and a bit of gatekeeping from the clubs higher up. So I don't see it ever changing. But again, if it's down to me and I had that power, that would be the rule that I'd change. I'm definitely not saying that it's... I'm not I'm not saying it's not about greed from, from the clubs higher up. I'm not saying that at all. Um, but I think... And I might be wrong, and you feel free to correct me. I think the issue, and for the record, I agree with you, is below the National League. I think that's the problem because there are obviously there's a National League North and there's a yeah. National League South, right? Yeah. So, four relegation, four relegation spots in the National League yeah. means that in theory, two teams will go into the North, two teams yeah. will go into the South, yeah. right? So, at that point, you need four relegation spots in the National League. That's okay. fine. I'm, and I'm fine with that for that reason, because the okay. pyramid is one team, one team, one team, one team, split yeah. two teams on a level. And, and I completely understand that the pyramid so, side of that. But for so me, there's no reason why three shouldn't go down from League Two and three go up from National League. It's that part of the pyramid that I don't agree yeah. with. with and, change. And, and, I, and I think, I think if your maths is right, and I'm sure it is, that that's completely feasible to do. And I don't understand why they wouldn't do it. I just think that the north, the regional things start getting a little bit dicey, and I think that's yeah. where maybe there's a bit of confusion. But for the record, I completely agree with you. I don't understand the problem of having three promotions and three relegations from the Premier League all the way down to League Two, and then three promotions in the National League and four relegations in the National League. Uh, I'm not quite sure what the problem would be with that because then you could still have two promotions from the north, two promotions of the south, and the rest of the pyramid all the way down to step. 11, which is literally the lowest professional step or a semi-professional step. Um, I don't understand why they then can't keep the same as they're doing now. Yeah, 
I, I don't I don't get it, and I completely agree with you. Yeah, I think uh, you could. You're probably right there, Kemp. I think it could be to do with the actual lower lower side of it. Um, <clears throat> hypothetically, what would they do if four northern teams got relegated one year? Um, well, to but, be fair, they do they deal with that anyway. So they deal yeah, they with that anyway. Split, so yeah. so they so they split it from north and south, right? But what they do, and I don't quite know how they work out the geographical locations. But if there's a team who are playing the south, and then a team gets relegated from the national league into the National League regionals, so the North or the South, that team that's most northerly in the South moves into the North. I right, think okay. that's what I think that's what happens. Aggie yeah, yeah. Your yeah, team and plays your plays in that sort of area. <laughs> so you you'll know better than anybody. But that's a non-issue anyway. So I don't understand again, I, 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 there may, there's probably a reason, but for the life of me, I don't know what it is. So if anybody I'm, I'm is fine listening with to the that, podcast, that, yeah, I'm fine with If anybody is listening to the podcast and understands why then please let us know. But for us, it's why can't it be three and three all the way down to the National League and then three and four? Yeah. Once that pyramid becomes different divisions at the same level, fine. But National League up, there's no Premier League one and two or Championship. It's just one division. But Aggie, go on, sorry, mate, with the, with the point you were going to make. Oh, you're just backing it up. That Yeah, if a Southern team gets relegated out of the National League, and obviously it means the, the uh, National League South would be overcrowded. The most Northern team will then move up to the National League North just to even it out a little bit. I, I completely agree. I don't understand why there can't be three up, um, three down across the board uh, from the Premier League all the way down to the National League. It's always blown my mind how League One has four teams going down, yet everyone else has three. And obviously League Two then has two. It just doesn't make sense to me. No. But yeah, again, like you say, it's got to go to a vote and not many teams are going to turn around and say, yeah, we'll vote for an extra relegation spot in our division, will they? It'd be interesting, yeah, but... wouldn't it? It'd be very interesting to see. I, let's play hypothetically here. If Wrexham were to finish 22nd this year and then they was put to a league vote to say, um, are you wanting to go ahead with it? I know they've been massively vocal. W- would they Would they stick to what they've said and, and vote for it? Or would they think, hang on a minute, we'd, we'd have been out at league if, uh, if we'd have, uh, yeah. if we'd have uh, if but, but... four places. But I but I also don't quite understand um, the the argument for well they won't vote for it because there's an extra relegation spot because let's say you open the vote up to National League League Two and League One because that's the three divisions that it would affect. I, I think I think it's the ninety two league clubs that would vote for a change to their structure because non league is it won't technically be League, though, will it? But it won't be no, well, no it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be yeah it'd be, sorry it'd be the AFL so, so, it sure, be them so sure that's where that's where the, my gatekeeping yeah, came but, in. Yeah, but surely the championship. I mean, the the clubs in the championship maybe apart from the bottom three, or the bottom four, or whatever it might be, the kind of teams towards the bottom or who are likely to get relegated. Surely they're not going to have a dog in the fight, so they'll be like, "Well, we want in 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 the interest of fairness, we'd like it to be three and three. League one, yeah, they're going to vote against it because there's four relegations. But league two, um, but league two. Oh, they they vote again. I don't know. They might Wouldn't vote League against... One vote for it. Though. I think League. I think I think League One vote for it. Yeah, I think yeah. they would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because sorry, yeah, they would. I'm confused myself. Because then there's three relegations, so there's less chance of them going down. But then yeah. League Two, they might also vote for it. Because yeah, there's only three promotions. But then I suppose the three relegations as well, isn't there? So yeah, so they're League Two. Out at that point, it's both League sides. Two that's the problem, isn't it? The yeah. National yeah. League would vote for it because obviously they'd be. You know, they'd be the National League want it, don't they? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So I don't know. It'd be very interesting to see how the vote would land because it would be championship down to National League, I would assume. Yeah. 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 yeah very, that's um, what I'd change anyway. Yeah. Very good point, mate. Very good point. Uh, finally, we'll go with Aggie. What you got for us, mate? 
Well, being the dinosaur that I am, I would go with the Champions League. Um, I feel that with it being the Champions League, it should be solely for champions and not for teams that finish third or fourth in their respective divisions. I feel that teams that uh, do finish top of, you know, obviously the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga, etc. Um, you know, they're the front runners in these competitions anyway. But I think finishing fourth place in the Premier League and winning the Champions League and getting into the Champions League, sorry, is just kind of defeating the object of the Champions League. It's supposed to be the best that, that Europe's got to offer, isn't it? And I think if you're only finishing third and fourth place, you're not the best. So, yeah, for me, it's uh, the the champions of each division goes into the Champions League, not first to fourth and whatever else. So what uh, we're looking at... Oh, go on, go on, fu- I was going to say, you're a, you're a fucking dinosaur, mate, but I agree with you completely. Couldn't so, agree with uh, you more. would you... So in terms of formats, currently uh, well, it's due to change um, from next season, I believe. So in terms of how many countries slash clubs, like what would you do? Would it just be the top five or six countries? You know, you, you England, Germany, Italy, France, Spain. It'd have to be about 32 uh, no, no, countries, no, no. wouldn't it? No, no, 32 yeah, countries. Spread it out across Europe. With, yeah, spread it out across like, Europe. Northern Ireland, Wales, Scotland, you know, pretty much everywhere. So, yeah. I think... I'd spread it out across Europe myself. I wouldn't say you've got to limit it just to the six big countries because then it's kind of defeating, not allowing other opportunities for other countries is it but I'd say yeah you spread it out to 32 different nations the champions of each of those um, divisions the top divisions in those countries will make it through to the Champions League but you do it on based upon you know the league statute don't you you go for the top 32 leagues in Europe and, and go through that perspective. So it's, so it's interesting that you say that Aggie because I am literally on the UEFA website now uh, and it says originally composed of 14 members, it now comp- comprises 32 member leagues. That's perfect. perfect. There's 32 leagues in UEFA, right? So why can't those 32 leagues be split into however many groups? Four, group four, of- uh, eight groups, eight groups of four, like it is now. Yeah. Eight groups of four into knockouts and go from there. What, what's the problem with that? We know what the problem with that is: is that Man United, <laughs> Liverpool, and whoever else will get again. into it gatekeeping again it's all about money but for me in terms of a in terms of a sort of spectator thing i mean how good would that be you are if you win it's like the old cup winners cup right if you win your your respective league you all all the best of the best go against each other and and that's what we all want to see surely i don't see anybody disagreeing with that apart from the people whose pockets are being lined I'm not sure, you know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I. Ooh. I'm not sure. I particularly. I'm, yeah, I'm going to be the villain here. I think. I'm not sure. I want to see it. You know. I'm not sure. I want to see it. Um, what I'm probably about to say is a little bit. Um, you could probably poke holes in my theory, but um, there's. I think there'd be just so many dead rubber games. I think the the champions of Northern Ireland, the champions of Wales, champions of who the fuck wants to see them besides the fucking locals? I mean, come on. Now, I, again, it's going to be all down to this the money again. But I'd much rather watch a Tottenham versus Seville than the fucking two the the, the, the champions of Northern Ireland against the champions of Wales or the champions of. You know, fucking Andorra, Estonia, or someone like that. You know what I mean? I'd much rather see a Spurs, Seville, or Leon, or someone like that. And and that's just the sad truth. It's just it's just entertainment. And I know definitely which one I'd rather I'd rather see. To be fair, you make a really good point, and I think there might be a, a market perhaps to. I don't know. I think it'd be difficult in terms of fixture congestion, wouldn't it? But um, maybe the, the the format of the Champions League now, and then maybe bring back the Cup Winners Cup instead of the Europa <laughs> Conference League to do AGS Ags format maybe or something like that and just have straight knockout games. So I I wouldn't mind seeing AGS format, but Sam, to be fair, it's a really good point you've raised and I do completely agree with you there. So I'm a bit torn. Nice one, brother. So what what um... do you think then, Aggie? Sorry, just very quickly. So based on that, Sam makes a fair point. You know, would you rather see 
the, the new Saints versus fucking Galway United, I don't know. Or would you rather watch... Drakida. Yeah, Drakida. <laughs> or would you rather watch Manu against Barcelona? Like, Or do you think main, you, you, your actual rule is to change the name of the competition that is currently known as, as the Champions League? I think you're always going to pick Manu against Barcelona as opposed to Drogheda against Galway, aren't you? Let's be fair. But I think it just defeats the object of it being the Champions League, doesn't it? You're supposed to have... I know you, you have like the, the best players out there at the moment. and Just, for comp- like- just, for, just, for, just to let you know, Drogheda and Galway would be uh, uh, domestic. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. your you, you point's, uh, you yeah. point's not valid there. Are they Northern it. Ireland or Republic? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know. Republic, surely Galway, right? Galway, but we're Galway will be. I'm not sure with Drug. Drug, yeah, they definitely are, aren't they? Yeah, Republic, yeah, definitely. For domestic, of course they are, mate. Come on, <laughs> yeah. Drug, <laughs> Drug, Drug, Drug versus Belfast, <laughs> <laughs> Belfast City, yeah. Man, no, but, but yeah, you talk about some of those. I think, I think what you're advocating for there, like it's, just a, it's just a name change, isn't it? It's just a name change. You want it changed at European Cup. I want it to be Champions League, like actual champions in the oh, oh, he's probably he wants the Champions League by its very definition. That's it's um it's a romantic concept, isn't it? It's a lovely idea, but like when you actually think of the nitty-gritty and you're thinking, hang on a minute, like you say, would I would rather watch United in fourth place against Barca who's finished second? I'd rather watch that fixture than as you say, Galway against fucking Gap Connor's key or something like that. So uh, yeah, that's um, as Google, all right. <laughs> What? <laughs> Gap Connors Key? Oh, mate, they're legends. Oh, I love that. Who the fuck are they? Welsh. No, Welsh. Yeah. Yeah. Are they? Yeah, I've, no got, I've had my hands in my pockets all, all, no, uh, all podcasts. Eh? Not no moved. offense to any Gap Connors Keys uh, fans out there. Used to, call them, yeah. used to call them Gap Connors Quaint Welfare, just uh, just trying to be quite witty. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Well, I like that a lot. Well, it seems like I've found my shirt for next week, so I'll try and get older that over the next <laughs> seven days. But. Uh, just to give Aggie some credit to close off before we uh, move on to the next question, I think out of all those four potential rule changes, his is most likely to happen if any were to happen. So I disagree. I disagree. I think yours is. I think yours is. I think yours is. I think no. I think there's too much Mate, reading gatekeeping. No, 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 no. There's, there's zero so chance much, what Aggie happens. There is <laughs> yeah, so much happen. more money to be made in what Aggie said. In like not doing what Aggie said. But not doing what you said. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So much more Mine's just a pipe dream. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But anyway, Sam, great question. Make some really good discussion there. I'm looking forward to what you bring next week. And hopefully the wheel won't spit you out first and uh, so you can sit back on it for, for a little bit while the rest of us chat about ours. But anyway, next up, Mr. Aggie Marsden. Right, my question, and it was on time this week as well. Uh, my question is the biggest underdog story in sport, whether that's per, per person or as a team. And uh, Skin, I'll start with you. Right, well, I don't particularly want to talk about this, so I'll make it quick. Kemp, you get yourself comfy and happy, mate, because I'm sure you're going to very much enjoy what I speak about over the next couple of minutes or so. I'm going to take you back to February 3rd, 2008, lads. I was a... Uh, oh, he's going. Do I Do I wait? I don't know what to do. He should be, on, he should be, he should be here for this. He's going to have to watch it back. Um, February 3rd, 2008, I was a young lad that had recently... Uh, I was in college uh, at the time. I was doing an IT course. I was in my second year of college. And I had had a, a fleeting like of uh, the National Football League for a couple of years at that point, but it was just sort of bits and bobs, nothing too serious. However, as that season had progressed, you were seeing more and more, you know, as a, a team, the New England Patriots were on course to become the first ever team in a 16-game regular season to go 
fully unbeaten and go on to win the Super Bowl. Um, and on that February 3rd, 2008, that's where he <laughs> went. There we go. On that February 3rd, 2008, the New England Patriots, 16-0 and in the regular season, had won both of their playoff games, were heading to Arizona to take on the New York Giants, who had gone 10-6 and and were the fifth seed in the NFC of that year. No wildcard team at that point in the history of the National Football League had gone on to win the Super Bowl. New England Patriots were probably at that point the most dominant team that we'd seen in the modern era and potentially ever, again, having gone 16-0. and At all signs and all predictions had the New England Patriots becoming that first team in a 16-game regular season to go undefeated and lift the Super Bowl. And me, buying into the hype and the build-up to that game, stopped up, even though I had college that Monday morning, stayed up for my first ever Super Bowl and I was fully bought into the hype of the New England Patriots and, of course, Tom Brady and the enigma that he was and that he was sold as. With two and a half minutes left in that game, New England Patriots were winning. It was a low-scoring game. 14-10 was the score. and The Giants were playing relatively well and keeping a, a phenomenal Patriots offence to, to a relatively low score. Um, with about two and a half minutes left, Eli Manning pulled out what to this day... How many years later? 15 years later, which is mental to say out loud, but 15 years later is still the single best play I have seen in the National Football League since going back and watching plays before that. The best play where he somehow managed to uh, avoid sack on about three or four different times. He was stood here and his shirt was about back in the dressing room how much it was being pulled and he threw a ball 30 40 yards downfield and David Tyree somehow against a legendary Patriots defensive back uh, Rodney Harrison managed to hold the ball against his helmet bring it to the floor and avoid it touching the ground and what is a play now coined as the helmet catch um, a couple of plays later Eli Manning would throw a touchdown pass into the far left corner of the end zone to Plexco Barres uh, a play that had since come out in the in the coverage after that they had been practicing pre-game and nailed it perfectly in game, and the uh, New England Patriots went on to lose that game seventeen fourteen, and again the New York Patriots had the chance to become the first ever undefeated team in a sixteen game regular season to win the Super Bowl, but instead the New York Giants became the first ever wild card team to win the Super Bowl and perhaps have the biggest upset in sporting history. So for me. As much as it pains me to say, and I hope I've sold it to you all, but that's the biggest underdog story in uh, sporting history. So yeah. I'm obviously not going to... And, and I'll point out, and I'll, <laughs> I'll just very quickly point out as well, like I said, I was doing an IT course college at the time. I'd stayed up at college the next day. I was doing an IT course. You're not active. You sat at a desk doing shit on the computer, and I was absolutely fucking fucked. So uh, was it worth it? Maybe not, but it would have been if it had pulled off. But I got to witness it live... So, so yeah. of course, I'm not going to disagree or, or argue with you because, you know, it's the Giants winning the Super Bowl, right? It's the third Lombardi trophy in the cabinet and maybe the last one I'll ever see us get. But I, I do, I look at, I look back at that and think, what an amazing thing, what an amazing time. I didn't watch the actual game live, but I, I saw the highlights of it. And, and like you, I was really bought into it on the build-up. Patriots perfect season, Patriots perfect season. It's all you heard about, Tom Brady, Patriots perfect season. The Giants have got no chance. And the reason that I'm not going to disagree with you is because I love an underdog. I love an underdog, which is why I'm I'm really happy that you've said us. However, 
the build-up to that game made me think, no, I want the Giants to win. And then the Giants won. And then because the Giants won, I started taking an active interest in the NFL and therefore was a Giants fan. So I've got very, very mixed reviews and responses to that because, yes, I'm extremely happy that it happened. And actually, even though I didn't see us lift the Super Bowl, I saw us lift the one after where we beat you again. Yeah, Um, three years later. I am now... I am now actually stuck being a Giants fan <laughs> forever because of that moment. So through gritted teeth, amazing, great moment, but it has now doomed me to a lifetime of sadness. <laughs> so I sort of agree, but sort of not. It was a Super Bowl win with strings attached. Yeah, it, it certainly <laughs> was. Most that. strings attached ever in the history of the Super Bowl. Definitely. Any agree. questions, lads? Have I sold it enough for you? No, none from me, mate. None from me. I'm, yes. uh, I'm all in. I'm just going to delete my knack. Well, next up is. Go on, Aggie. Sorry. No, you uh, you sold it well for me, and that was before I started watching the NFL. So it's good to hear a story uh, that was good from back then as well. Uh, Sam, yeah, we'll come across to you next for yours then. Yes, mate. So um, <clears throat> there was once a guy, as Colin uh, Chris uh, Chris Collins would say. Now here's a guy. Um, he went. Um, he went undrafted. I'm going to go for one particular um, person, not a, not a team. Uh, and his name was Kurt Warner, right? And I'm going to have to get my phone. So I'm not going to be able to look at the camera. I do apologize. I made a couple of notes. So he didn't. Bec- so he went undrafted. He, he, he sat. He got up and uh, he watched the. Um, he watched the drafts from his uh, from his sofa with his family, and he sat there and watched himself go undrafted. Um, didn't become a college starter until his fifth and final year in college. So he went even looked at as a footballer until his final year. As I say, went undrafted. And then he, uh, funnily enough, he went and had a, a tryout with the uh, with my boys, the Green Bay Packers, during the time of the Brett Favre era. And I think I've seen a picture of the quarterback room at that year, and it was unbelievable, like Brett Favre, Kate Warner, and, and someone else. And it's just an un- unbelievable picture. But, uh, but the Packers... Um, the Packers didn't want him. The Packers, the Packers didn't want him. It, they, they thought he had a bit of an attitude. Um, I think if you've ever watched the the, the underdog film like, that was made about his life, um, it was a bit of a misunderstanding, and essentially he wasn't willing to run a particular play, and and for that reason that the Packers said, "Well, you, you're only a trialee, you're gone." So they, they they booted him out. So it kind of fumbled around in the, um, or as I could say, had, had a play around in the old. Um, in the, in the old uh, Arena Football League. So the Arena Football, uh, not Canadian League or anything like that, Arena Football, which is just like a five-a-side team, essentially. Um, it's really stripped down, <clears throat> really small, really small pitch. I think it's only you only play 50 yards, I think. Um, and it's just constantly bang-bang play. Um, and it played it played that for two years for the Ohio, Ohio Barnstormers, just an FYI, uh, before it got scouted by the St. Louis Rams in 1997. So he's gone undrafted, he's bouncing around. 97, the Rams scout has spotted him playing arena football and they think, they think hang on a minute, I think we've got a bit of a guy here. So um, the Rams signed him in, uh, obviously, 1998. He was the Rams backup in 98. And uh, Trent Green was the Rams QB. And he sat on the bench, Kate Warner did, and watched the Rams go to a 4-12 and season that year. So there was shit, really. They were really shit. Um, in the pre-season of 1999... Trent Green went down with an injury and from that moment on the Rams never looked back Kurt Warner stepped in and in the same season so essentially he's, he's rookie year in the NFL bear in mind it's not rookie because he's, he's already left college college's bounce around so I think he was about 27, 28 at the time so he was quite old when he made his first appearance in the NFL um, first, first year he went in and 
the it, it led the Rams to a Super Bowl appearance. He won the league MVP, and they ended up winning the Super Bowl that year as well over the Tennessee Titans, twenty three to sixteen, and he was the Super Bowl MVP as well. MVP, sorry, and uh, that was famously known as the greatest show on turf, and that was his first season in the league after bouncing around, not not going drafted or anything like that. So for me, I mean, what you couldn't if you was going to make a film about any kind of sports, it would be it's that in it. He has got the perfect film film sports lifestyle, uh, going undrafted in the league, um, and yeah, signing by the Rams that year wins the league MVP, wins the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl MVP all inside this first year in the NFL. So yeah, for me. That is the greatest underdog story in the sports. I think you went like to win it. the Super Bowl again in what was it, two thousand and eight? Was it? Yeah, it won the Super Bowl. Um, again? <laughs> no, I don't know if it was two thousand and eight. I, I didn't look at his, uh, his his stats afterwards, but he, he might have won it twice. But I think he went to the Cardinals in two thousand and eight, weren't he? Yeah, Did he Steelers, win it? Steelers beat them in two thousand eight. It was that oh, Antonio right. Holmes catching. Yeah, he might have won it twice. I just, oh, I'm right. not sure. If no, it was I'm just, no, I'm just looking now. No, he's only won it once. He yeah, won I thought he, what you yeah, there, he, but... yeah, he took the Cardinals to a to a Super Bowl <laughs> round oh eight. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, what a story. I'm I'm going to cut <laughs> my my bit out because I think you you topped it. I've not actually um, I've not actually watched that film. I saw the trailers coming out, and you're absolutely right. I know you could write it because you have, but you couldn't write. If if that career had not happened and you wanted to write that underdog story, it probably wouldn't have been as good of what actually no. happened with his career. But what's uh, what's film like? Is it worth a watch? I, I really enjoyed it. <clears throat> I actually what's it called it? again? Sorry. Um, it's, it's something like Kate Warner. If you don't know, Kate Warner, an underdog story or something. Or yes, an underdog, underdog right. story or American American underdog story. I think something like that. American, American yeah. underdog. American right. Underdog, yeah. So it's um, yeah, really, really decent film. To be fair, um, I actually watched it on a flight to America. Funnily enough, I think I was, uh, I think I was going to. It was either LA or Florida, one of them at the time, and um, I didn't have much to do, so I thought I'd stick that on. And uh, yeah, it was brilliant, really, really good film. I like it. Very Just, rags to riches. That's the one. That's it's the one, literally mate. that, isn't it? Absolutely, uh, Kemp. We'll move along onto yours. Then, have you gone for a team like Skin, or have you gone for a player? I have gone for a team, and not only have I gone for a team, but I've gone for a team that were 5,000 to 1 to win their respective uh, sporting league. Um, And it is, of course, the 2015-16 Premier League champions, Leicester City. I never, ever thought I would see anything like that happen. Until it happened, I didn't believe it was going to happen, and I think everybody else was the same. Dawson, I remember it so clearly. Us, we were together when Leicester City won the Premier League. We were out for a meal we randomly somewhere. Um, with, with Dog, we were like Mansfield, right? Dog, Just a really yeah. random Monday night, Chelsea versus really Tottenham. Weird. Really yeah. weird. But we, we saw the Chelsea versus Tottenham score come in. Um, Tottenham didn't get the result that they needed to keep the pressure on Leicester. And Claudio Ranieri's dreams um, came true. And Leicester City's dreams came true in that Premier League season. For me... I don't think, personally, from what I've ever seen, I don't think that can ever be topped. You're looking at a team where before, the season before, they just avoided relegation. They brought Claudio Ranieri in to, to help them avoid relegation again. That That's why they brought him in, the Tinker Man. They didn't bring him in to win anything. It was They were never going to win anything. And then you've got players like Wes Morgan, Robert Huth, Jamie Vardy, Riyad Mahrez, N'Golo Kante. Players now that you look back and think, fuck, they're legends. But 
at that point in time, Jamie Vardy had not recently since signed from Fleetwood, and Golo Kante had signed from a, a, a team in France, La Havre, or something like that, that nobody even knew his name. Wes Morgan and Robert Hooth journeyman at that point. You know, nobody ever expected anything to happen, but it was the perfect storm, the perfect manager, the perfect team at that particular time. And they beat Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Arsenal, Spurs. They beat all these teams and became Premier League champions in that season. I don't think we'll ever, ever see that happen again. And for me, I think that is the most special, most valuable, and it's the best underdog story in the history of sport. I think um, Vardy even went on that season to break the Premier League's scoring record in a consecutive goals in a previously held by Ruud van Nistelrooy United and, yeah. and ironically it was against United that he actually broke the record and I, I always remember that it's unbelievable unbelievable I mean so, can you 5,000 to 1 can you believe it no uh, you'll, you'll never see you, you look you look now when <laughs> Luton this season went 5,000 to 1 like it's never been off it again well the because... reason that I put £5 on Sheffield United to win the Premier League every time we're in it it's for that exact reason with Leicester City. But even this season, when I put Fiverr on it, I got 2,500 to one. So half the odds of what yeah. Leicester got when they won it, Dawson. But I mean, it's, can that ever be topped? For me, that's that's bigger than any underdog story ever. It, I mean, I, I think, Aggie, it's your question, mate, and we've got your answer to come. But so far, I, I think it's hard to argue with, with any of the answers and the reasons behind them. No, I think there's three very strong answers. So I'm almost ready for apologising for the one that I'm about to give you. And that is, I'm going to stick with the theme of football like Kemp. and a Max team... Verstappen winning the F1 champion. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst it was tempting, I'm going to go with Greece walking away as 2004 Europa, uh, European champions. Like um, in their group stage, there was with Russia. Um, I think it, France was in there as well. Uh, no, France was in ours, sorry. Uh, Portugal was the other one in theirs. Um, and they went... Uh, Four points out of their opening uh, three games, only just made it through the group stages. Then they got given France in the uh, quarterfinals, beat them by a goal to nil, then beat Czech Republic in the semifinals and then beat Portugal by a goal to nil. And nobody expected, I mean, when we made it through that group stage with France, we thought we'd be meeting France in the final. It was a given. You look at the sides that are in the quarterfinals at that point. There was Portugal, England, Sweden, the Netherlands, France, Greece, Czech Republic and Denmark. So it's kind of a written there. You look at that. Just, and to, you add think, to, that, Ag, just to add to that, Spain were the other team in Greece's group. It was Greece, you. Portugal, Spain and Russia. That's the one, yeah. And Russia was the one they lost to as well in that group stage. I think they drew with Spain and beat Portugal as well. So, yeah, when you look at those knockouts, you think it's going to be England against France in the final. It's kind of like a foregone conclusion. In 2004, you know, France were at their peak as well. Obviously, England would got a very strong side at that point. And no, both went out in the quarterfinals to the eventual finalists where Portugal would take on Greece and Greece would walk out 1-0 winners and win uh, the European Championships against everybody's expectations. So I've gone uh, with Greece Winning that is uh, is my underdog story. It's not kind of as elaborate. I'm not going to be able to tell a full story like Skin did or, or defy 5,000 to one odds or talk about being undrafted. But they went on and upset a lot of people and managed to walk away with, uh, with a trophy at the end of it, a European Championship more than I've seen England win. Speaks yeah, for itself, sure. mate. Speaks for itself. You look at the teams like Germany were a force in the sort of mid to late 2000s. Spain were the ultimate force in the mid to late 2000s. England, the golden generation that never lived up to the hype. Portugal with legendary players like Figo and, and Ronaldo, obviously on his way into the uh, into the the side in two thousand and four. You know, legendary players across the board at that time, and, and and players that we know from growing up in that time. I'd say that we all grew, you know, we all grew up predominantly in the in the two thousands, um, and uh, and Greece, lowly old Greece, that I'd be struggling to name one of their players 
Um, Aristeus Tom, and Giorgio Samaras. I knew you would. I knew you yeah. would. Why, why is that, mate? That why is that? <laughs> Never a question that you would, but again, you know, what an underdog story it was. And uh, yeah, you can't disagree with that, Aggie. So you, we've, I think we've all given pretty good answers there, to be fair. Well, I think the reason for that, I was just thinking then, sitting here thinking, um, Sam, you had an individual as an underdog. I had an NFL underdog. Kemp, you had a domestic football underdog. And Aggie had an international football underdog. So I think we can all claim to, you know, hold the Melt, title. Melting pot. Yeah, no, nobody's clashing. And I think we can all make a claim for, for those quite rightly being fantastic underdog stories. So Aggie, great question there, mate. Really uh, enjoyed that. Um, but we are now on to the penultimate question of the episode, and it's it's me. So, uh, lads, probably don't need to spend too much time on this, just a little bit of reasons as to why. And it is, I want one current and one historical offensive player and one historical and one current defensive player uh, in the NFL to join your team. So, obviously, who they are and why you want them in your teams and why you think that they'll take you to the next level or whatever it may be. Um, and I'm going to come to Mr. Thomas Kemp to start us off because uh, you are... I'm going to scratch that. I was about to say you've probably uh, supporting the lowest of our teams at the minute and then remembered Patriots' shocking season, but maybe that'll be next week's question. What the fuck's going on at the New England Patriots? But anyway, we've started, so we'll carry on. So, Kev, New York Giants, you said there, a great win, a, a great underdog story. You got to see him win it again, a little bit more invested a few years later, but since then it's been a tough time to be um, a, a New York Giants fan. Obviously, some hope last season bringing in Dayball and, and what he's done to the team, but not the best start this season. So, a current player, a historical player on the offensive side, a current player and a historical player on the defensive side. Which four players are you bringing in to get New York Giants back to where they belong? And I think that's why it hurts me so much, because of that hope that I had last season. We made it to the playoffs. We won in wildcard weekend. We won a playoff game last season. I never thought it would happen. Um, and then and then this season, we've started ridiculously poorly. I thought we'd be building on last season. Um, and unfortunately, it's gone the other way. And, and I can't, for the life of me, understand why. However, I know for a fact that if we brought these four players into the New York Giants team, we would rock it up those standings. Uh, and I'm sure we would be close to potentially making a Super Bowl as well. So I'll start with the offensive side of the ball, if that's all right with you boys. And I'm going to say the potential greatest quarterback of all time, taking over from maybe a Thomas Edward, Ed, Edward Patrick Brady or whatever his name is, um, a Patrick Mahomes would be my current offensive player I would bring into the New York Giants. Listen, Daniel Jones, for the amount of jokes I make about him being the GOAT, he's very limited. Even last season when we made the playoffs and won in the playoffs, you could still see that Daniel Jones is very limited. And to be fair, this season so far, he's been so exposed, it's unbelievable. I think if things don't drastically turn around this season, I think we need to move on from him. We've just offered him a big contract and, he, and we've just secured his future for a few years. But for me, I, I think we take the hit and we need to move on because uh, the start that he's made has been extremely poor. Uh, so for me, the quarterback is the most important position on the field. And that's why Patrick Mahomes will be taking the Giants uh, jersey up, uh, switching his Kansas red for Giants blue. Um, and he will be the starting quarterback for the New York Giants. Obviously, you need somebody who can catch the ball if somebody's going to throw the ball at the same time. Um, and I have gone for possibly the most legendary wide receiver of all time, and that's Jerry Rice. I mean, what else can you say? Imagine Mahomes throwing to Jerry Rice. The amount of yardage that those boys have put up together would be just literally ridiculous. And I think our receiving core at the minute, I thought it was going to be quite strong at the start of the season. It's turned out to be quite weak, which is fairly disappointing. Um, but you know what? 
I think with Jerry Rice and, and, and Patrick Mahomes, I think that would be a, a pretty deadly one-two combo. And I think we'd get a lot of points on the board um, if we had that one-two combo in offense. For defense, it, it kills me to say, but I would take a Dallas Cowboys player from the current uh, roster of things. And Mike Parsons would be my choice to add uh, to the Giants defense um, in that ridiculous linebacker slash uh, defensive tackle role that he does. He's just everywhere. He's all over the place. He's a nightmare um, for quarterbacks across the league at the moment. He started unbelievably well. Um, and if you're playing against the Cowboys, be, be very afraid because Parsons will be on your ass straight away. Um, and I couldn't talk about a historic defensive player and bring you one of those players back to the NFL and back to the New York Giants. The greatest player on the defensive side of the ball in the history of football, and I will not hear otherwise, Lawrence Taylor, LT, would be coming back and playing for my beloved New York Giants, putting back the blue jersey on, um, and and I'm sure with him and Parsons in, in the Giants' defence, quarterbacks all over the country would shit themselves when they saw those two suited up. So, uh, yeah, LT's coming back, Parsons is coming back, uh, and Mahomes, well, coming back, coming to the Giants, uh, and Mahomes and Jerry Rice are suiting up for the Giants as well. And I'm sure our fate would improve very, very quickly if that did happen. Sam, you had a little bit of a, a Genev ooh when he announced Patrick Mahomes as the uh, as the current player joining the New York Giants. Is he not enough or have you changed your mind slightly with the three other players that followed? What do you mean? What, on on his question? Yeah, so you, you were like, oh, like you weren't too sure about Patrick Mahomes. No, 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 no. That's not what I was doing. At. I was doing oh, it okay. in, in, in potentially hailing him as a as a potential goat. That's okay. what I was. That, that's okay. what I was doing. I wasn't doing is it uh, the selection at all, but it's, conversation think... point for next week, maybe conversation <laughs> point for next maybe. week. Maybe so, maybe so. But uh, yeah, no, I've got no no qualms with the um, with selection. Would you like me to roll on as soon as I'm one talking? Yeah, go for it, mate. Let's uh, see if four who are joining the Green Bay Packers. Yep, so for the Green Bay Packers, I've cheated on the first one, so straight Ooh. away I'm going, I'm, I'm bringing back my boy Aaron Rodgers. Now I that's know, fine, mate. that's fine. I know you said it's current, but I'm going for a prime Aaron Rodgers, so I'm going no, back. No, no, no. Let me let me just point out that all the players that you bring will be in their prime, in their peak. They they have to currently be playing in that's the fine. NFL, not their current state or ability. Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect then. So Aaron Rodgers goes in at the quarterback. Sorry, love, I love you, bro, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you, you know, you're nothing compared to the big dog. So, uh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers comes in at quarterback. We know what he can do. We know. Give him a bit of fucking time, Sam. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Don't matter, mate. If, if, I'm, if I'm wanting instant success, Rodgers is going straight back in. So, Rodgers is back in in his prime. Um, and as as Kemp, I've gone the same avenue as Kemp as well. He's going to need someone to uh, to catch the ball. I'm not going to go into details about Rodgers because we know what his history is with Green Bay. Uh, and I've gone for Calvin Johnson, aka Megatron, oh. for him to uh, to catch the ball. So yeah. I think probably the most talented physical wide receiver there's ever been. I know Jay Rice is known as a bit of the goat right wide receiver, but. Calvin Johnson is his physics. You know, it was like fucking six nine or something like that, and they were like six five, rapid as fuck. Six five, run like a four forty or something stupid like that. It was just unbelievable statistics. And yeah, uh, Calvin Johnson and Aaron Rodgers. Can you just imagine that pairing? Yeah. Obviously, there was in the NFC North going at it a couple of years when he was at the Lions, but to have him uh, catching balls from Rodgers would have just been something to behold, I think. Yes, um, mate, you know my love of... Uh, I do. Megatron I do. I, I knew you'd respect mate, that, that one. Have, yeah, that, that would have been phenomenal to see. Rodgers would have had such a good time having him out there on the, you know, out on the sticks, throwing it deep to him. 
Hundred um, percent. And then on the de- defensive side of the ball, <clears throat> I've gone quite practical this time. Obviously, I've gone quite fantasy in the offense, but this time I've gone. What do we need? What don't we need? So I think we've got probably one of the best corners in the game when Jair Alexander pairing with Russell Douglas or or, or Stokes, uh, and it's a decent room at cornerback safety. I did hum and ah about getting a uh, you know some kind of Rodney Harrison, a legendary safety in, or Troy anyone like Palomale, that. anyone Reed. like that in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed Reed would have probably been the pick. I, I would say to be fair, but no, I've gone up front because we are historically shit against the run. So I had to tell Aggie to fuck off of this pick because <laughs> I was taking Aaron Donald in that defensive tackle slot for that exact reason that that is what we need at Green Bay. We need a defensive tackle who's nasty, horrible to play against. He's only about six foot, but is, is, he is one of the greatest defensive players of all time and he probably could rival Lawrence Taylor for that with, with the amount of impact he's had on the league. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that, see, that, that right there is the reason why it's good to have everyone on screen now because that's what we were missing before. Mate, honestly, honestly, Kempe, I know I know you, you, you're quarrying that, but you look, you look at his stats, I mean, he's, he's got how many how many times he's won the defensive player of the year? He's got the Super Bowl to back it up. He's, he's, he's made the, the Pro Bowl and all pro like every single season he's been he's, in the league, he's, essentially. He's searching. He's searching. Uh, so Aaron Donald for me is gonna when it's all said and done, is gonna rival um I'm them. not doubting I'm not doubting the Aaron Donald stats. I'm not doubting those whatsoever. I'm really, really not. But Hmm. <laughs> that's fine, mate. Sure yeah, that. I'll, oh, mate, I'll, I'll stand by that one. I'll die on that hill. Definitely, he's right up there in terms of t- talent for him, especially for the fact that he's undersized at the position as well. Um, and and finally, um, I have gone for my historic player, and I think it's another pick that Dawson's going to absolutely love here. It's uh, Luke Keekley, Luke Keekley, middle linebacker for the Carolina Panthers. It, unbelievable. That, that close, mate. That close to being on my list. And I was like, yeah. I, I know what I need. Yeah, but, unbelievable. Yeah, on, sorry. Again, same same logic of, of approach. I think, you know, we don't need we don't need players here and there. We don't need I was gonna think pass rush, and again, we've got Aaron Donald in. So we've got Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, obviously got Lucas Van Ness that we've just signed. So I think pass rush were okay. Um, uh, otherwise, I would have picked Reggie White. He was he was there, there or thereabouts. And and for me, Reggie White is the greatest defensive player of all time. The Minister of Defence. Um, it was fucking outstanding, and I, I'm going to be wearing my green tinted glasses on that. But uh, it was outstanding back in the nineties, and and one of the reasons why Brett Favre won a Super Bowl. But yeah, Luke Keekley is is the pick I've gone for. Middle linebacker. Historically, again, we've never had great middle linebackers. I always cast my mind back to AJ Hawk, who's probably the last decent, decent middle linebacker we've had. Um, we had uh, Blake Martinez, who went to the Giants, just just shit after shit with Reedad. Seems like we've got a decent pairing at the minute with uh, Devondre Campbell and uh, Tre- Walker. Uh, Quay Walker, but uh, yeah, I think to get that absolute pedigree in the middle, and again, he's only going to help uh, help shut down that run as well. So Dorand and Keekley, I think, to help shore up Green Bay's run defense, and I think the cornerbacks can take care of the pass. So that would be uh, that would be my picks for the Green Bay Packers. That's fair, Aggie. I'm going to come to you next. I was going to go next, um, but with what Sam said there, we we know you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, and and probably there their biggest sort of hype name or best apart, whatever it is, it was the the Legion of Boom, that defensive back room at, uh, that you had many years ago. So um, Sam's very comfortable with the cornerbacks they've got at the minute. And I suppose, to be fair, Seattle on paper have got still a very, very good defensive back room. But are you, are you going practical like Sam with your picks or are you going fantasy and, and heart like, uh, like some of Kemp's earlier? 
I've been completely practical. I've looked at exactly what we've needed. Of course, you fucking have. Of course, you fucking have. Yeah. Fucking question from me. Terrible, terrible question. Um, Sorry, yeah. Um, Kemp said to me over the weekend when we were watching uh, Red Zone as well that, or watching the Seahawks against uh, the Bengals, that Geno Smith is not the guy to lead us into a Super Bowl. We've got a very young side at the moment, a very promising side for the future, but we need a quarterback for that. So I'm going to start things off by going with Joe Burrow the current uh, quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. I think with the play style that we have at the moment, play actions, that kind of thing, he'll be very good for it and he'll be utilised very well with uh, Pete Carroll's offence. Um, I've then gone for a running back as my legendary player to uh, bring back to the Seahawks. And I think as much as we speak about Kenneth Walker and the fact that he is a very good elusive back, we need somebody who is a power back. And who better than, of course, Beast Mode himself, Marshawn Lynch. I'm disappointed I didn't get to see him in the first time around. I saw him when he returned to us um, shortly after Chris Carson went out injured. But all I've heard from you guys is that Marshawn Lynch was an absolute beast. He was a force to be reckoned with when he was with us the first time. From all the clips I've seen when we had him the first time around, it was very promising. So I think him and Kenneth Walker would make a very good one-two duo. I looked where else we'd really need another than, of course, on the O-line. It'd be very tough to go with something. On the defence, I've gone straight onto the defensive line with a current player. I did look at Aaron Donald, like uh, Sam mentioned, but I've stuck within the NFC West and I've gone with Nick Bosa, a guy who is very calm, very relaxed away from the line of scrimmage. But as soon as he's on the line of scrimmage, you don't want to be opposite him. Um, I did have him down as the sack leader come the end of this season and he is in very good, uh, he's in a very good position to maybe compete with that. Um, I did have him actually, I think, to break the sack record come the end of the season as well. So hopefully that will uh, still ring true. But I think Nick Bosa, and we do struggle in the trenches, so I think on the defensive line, it'll be a great player to have. As for cornerbacks, you have just mentioned that we've got a very young cornerback setup. We do. You're absolutely right. We've got both um, Devin Witherspoon and Tarek Woolen, two very young cornerbacks. So who better to go alongside them than a cornerback and possibly the biggest talker that I've ever seen in the NFL. And I'm going with the experience of Richard Sherman, of course, from the days of the Legion of Boom, winning nice. the Super Bowl with the Seahawks <clears throat> as well. Um, imagine Devin Witherspoon and Tariq Woolen being coached and helped through it by uh, Richard Sherman. And of course, he can still, uh, like you say, he'll be in his prime. So imagine a prime Richard Sherman adding to that as well. So yeah, that's my defensive players. I think the only question. thing I can say, and the biggest, sorry, before you do, Dawson, no, no, go on, question. Go on, go on. biggest compliment I can say to about Marshawn Lynch, mate, is that if Pete Carroll had not been a donkey and uh, decided to pass, oh, no. your uh, your Seahawks would have had another Super Bowl ring, mate, because those Patriots weren't fucking stopping him. The well, dynasty was there. The dynasty was ready. I'm I'm jumping in here because obviously being a Patriots fan, I watched the Super Bowl. Remember, I was on an Xbox party with Sam. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Tommy in a basket next to me. He was two days old. <laughs> Uh, watching the Super Bowl. Um, and if you go back, the play before, Marshall Lynch had the ball in a very similar position and Dante Hightower made a phenomenal goal line challenge. So let's not guarantee... Don't mean guarantee... he can do it again. Don't mean he no, can I'm do it saying. again. I'm, 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 I, Could I you agree. imagine, like, in the future, if, like, you can, like, in VR, you can set things up and, like, probabilities and you if can, you like, do, do that it again. Day. Yeah, me. How could I forgot about there? <laughs> That's your favourite bit with the VR. That's fucking oh, he's like, number one ranked. Number yeah. one. What's he doing? What's he fucking doing? And can carry on. What's I'm he? just, I'm just saying. I always like to chuck that out there when people give Pete Carroll shit because he did hand Marshawn Lynch the ball and he did get stopped. So who's to say it would again? 
we'll never know, but I just want to put that out there. It's a question for Sam, actually, just uh, because obviously you commented on Aggie being practical because, of course, he is. Of course, that's what he's doing. But he mentioned there Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen, obviously um, Jamal Adams in at safety as well. Is Richard Sherman really a, a pick, a practical pick, or should he be focusing on other areas of that of that defense? Not, not a practical pick in the slightest, but is one of the goats at the position. So I can forgive it. He is. He was dominant. It was physical. It was unbelievable. I believe Aggie caught him probably towards the back end of his his, his career. Really, last year with us, yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in his prime, it, it was absolutely outstanding. And I always picture, I, when I always think of Richard Sherman, the, the, there's always one play that I always jumps out to me, and it's the Michael Crabtree play, where he's um, in the yeah, NFC Champion, NFC Championship game, San Fran, and his th- last throw of the dice, ball's gone in the corner of the end zone, he's batted it away, uh, and I, I think he tipped it. Yeah, he tipped it, and then Neil Thomas picked it, oh, I think. Yeah, I'm sure it was In Earl the end Thomas, zone, yeah. it was Earl Thomas. Yeah, and then he's gone up to the camera, and he's grabbed his he's grabbed his, his gold chain off him, and he said, don't ever put a guy like that on me ever again. Oh. And he just went off. He went off yeah. after the game. And so, I, I, yeah, it, it's not not as practical. It, they've got options there that they've been okay with, I think. You know, if you'd have brought an Earl Thomas back or, or someone like that, maybe. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think um, I think he's a, he's a, he's a hell of a corner, and I can't, and I can't forgive it. He got sponsorship off the back of that interview as well that he did afterwards when he was um, marking Crabtree in that game. He really? got loads of sponsorship deals off the back me, of it as well. For me, and, and this might be controversial, Aggie I, I, might disagree with it, I think if Richard Sherman doesn't play for the Seahawks, you don't pick him in that in that pick, pick there. I, I think that's 100%, purely, 100%. purely based on the fact that he was a Seahawks player. All I'm going to say on the back of that is you, you're absolutely right, but I only got to see one year of Richard Sherman. And the reason why I've seen more of Richard Sherman is because I'm a Seahawks fan. So you're absolutely right. Had I not seen any more of him, then yeah. Any player any any player in the history of the NFL at defence and you've gone Sherman. I think that's that's probably the bold statement there. I think it's not really needed in the fact that you've got a decent cornerback room as it is. But as mm-hmm. I say... You know, you could have gone someone like a, maybe an outside linebacker, pass rusher, or someone like that. I think that, that might have been the way yeah, to maybe go. Maybe so. I Wait, you're not you, didn't I? Yeah, you you do whatever you want, mate. You uh, yeah. you crack on, you silicon. No, no, no issue with it, other than him opening up his answer with he's not gone with his heart. He's gone fully practical. That's my I think, only with it. I think other than Sherman, my answers were really practical. Yeah, I, I know, but what sort of stats? No, but my question is, what sort of stats did he do when you were at elementary school? Yeah. <laughs> when you were 13 what were you doing how many picks did he have because usually that's how you judge players Aggie so you know what, what no, mate, just Michael Owen just Michael Owen no, just just Michael. and Paul Scholes uh, anyway uh, right I'll give you my answer and I'm going to flip it I'm going to whip my way defence and then at the end because why not do you reckon, I wonder who's win for uh, offence I'm not 100% no, sure oh, 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 I don't know let's, hang let's on see lads I'm just gonna, I'll be back in a minute hang on the dog barking. I'm not going anywhere. I'm no, I'm not going anywhere. I just don't want to fucking oh. hear it. All oh, right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that very shortly. Uh, so, my current defensive player, we, we look at the Patriots mentioned earlier, really, really struggling, and what they're missing. They're missing that that uh, that passing pressure uh, or that or that defensive pressure off the edge. So, I want to put Miles Garrett in there, um, similar to what you said about Nick Bosa in terms of what he brings to the table. He's phenomenally strong. He's quick. He, he's you know he, he's got double coverage on him on most plays because he's just he's just such a disruptive player and I think he'll really suit what Patriots are lacking at the moment in terms of historical player Luke Keekley I'll be honest Sam up until about Monday evening 
uh, you know, he, he was in there. But then I saw a clip from ESPN coverage off the back of the Patriots game. Um, Teddy Bruschi was in, was on the panel, and they were asking about the future of Bill Belichick, and, and he gave a very impassioned answer about what he thought he should do. Of like, you know, wind it down and, and move away and walk away from the Patriots and let them sort of fly free at the end of this season and get back to where they need to be. And he was a phenomenal player. He was a leader. He was that rock in the middle of defense, middle linebacker during those during those sort of wonder years. Um, and just yeah, we're really missing that leader in the middle of the park at the moment. He he had a stroke in his career and then came back, came back after a stroke and still did what he he did and won Super Bowls and everything else like that. So again, if we're talking about what the Patriots need on the defensive side, they need that pass rush. Garrett will provide that. And they also need that leadership and that that calmness and focus and, and drive. And, and Teddy Bruschi certainly brings that. So they're my historic, oh, sorry, they're my defensive players. On the offensive side, um, my current player is a player that Samuel probably remember more than, than anyone here that I was hyping back in college, was saw him as a phenomenal player and, and for me was the perfect Patriots <laughs> pick. Unfortunately, this was at a time when the Patriots were good and don't think they ever picked lower than sort of 25 so they didn't really have a chance of getting him, but it is Christian McCaffrey. And uh, nobody's asking, I don't know if you've noticed, but I am actually tonight wearing his college jersey. Uh, Pac-12 was the conference, Stanford was the team, McCaffrey five on the back, um, because I thought it'd be quite relevant. But yeah, uh, Brady really utilised those pass receiving running backs throughout his career. Players that were never amazing, but Danny Woodhead did really, really well with Rex Burkhead was you know very strong in the Patriots because of his ability to, to take on passes. James and, White. James White, of course, yeah. <clears throat> a, a big favourite with yourself after that Falcon <laughs> Super Bowl. But yeah, if if there ever was in, in my time as a, a Patriots fan, the perfect Patriots player, the player that perfectly fitted the Patriots system, CMC was it. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's gone on to sort of live up to the hype that I gave him pre-draft in his college days. Um, obviously, he got drafted by the Panthers, now absolutely dominating at the 49ers. But, yeah, that would be my current player. Um, and, of course, my historical player, I'm not going to get into it too much, but very much like Sam, why would I not want Tom Brady back at Gillette Stadium for the New England Patriots? But let's not get into it now because I'll blow my load too early. And that doesn't normally happen, so why should I start now? Nice. I was just gonna. Say, I was just gonna say, fucking hell. I know we joke about it. You're talking about Brady all the time, and and I think it would be quite therapeutic if sometimes you did let him go a little bit. But now is the time, mate, to talk about him and wax lyrical. So if you do want to wax lyrical and talk about Thomas Brady, then feel free, mate. This is an open forum to do so. No, mate, and I'm going to save it for reasons that will become very, very, very clear. Um, you can just uh, look out window. I can see them clouds coming over. They're coming. They're coming. <laughs> the rain is about to fall. But, Ken, final question Hello. of the week, mate. Ask away yes. and dictate what order you would like to go in. Wow. Well, this may be the biggest question that you could possibly ask when it comes to sport, right? And the question is, who is the greatest sports person of all time in any sport so in terms of accomplishments in terms of what they've done in terms of maybe coming from nothing to being something like a Kurt Warner story or something like that maybe it could be something like that but in your opinion it's the biggest overarching question that everybody wants to know we're going to tell them right now on Loaded Sport who is the greatest sports person of any sport of all time and Aggie we'll start with you 
I am going to go with Ronnie O'Sullivan, the Rocket, in snooker. He spent between the years of 2002 and 2010 more weeks at number one ranking than he did um, at any other position. Um, he recently went back to number one again in April of 2022, and he is still the world number one as it stands at the moment. He hit uh, 15 147s so far in his career. On 1,218 occasions, he's hit a break that is over 100. He has won the World Championship seven uh, times in total, and he's won um, 39 total tournaments in his career. I think he's an outstanding performer in snooker, and I think that he deserves the recognition for that. So for me, Ronnie O'Sullivan is uh, the greatest sports person. Yeah, and that's fair enough. And to be fair, um, being... I know Dawson will disagree with me, but being raised in Sheffield, let's say that, Dawson, can I say that? Am I right to say that? Um, Ronnie O'Sullivan, obviously, is a a massive, massive uh, figure in Sheffield with obviously the World World Darts Championship being hosted at the Crucible every single year. Um, And actually, there's a hotel across from the Crucible. It's the Mercure Hotel in Sheffield. And on the wall, they've got one of the actual, um, I don't know, tops of the the snooker table. Uh, And it's the actual cloth there you go and it's the actual cloth of the snooker table that ronnie o'sullivan hit a 147 on and on the actual cloth you can see every single shot that he made um every single ball where it was and it's the actual cloth and it's like a piece of art in the mccure hotel across the road from the crucible and it's it's unbelievable to look at it you think how the fuck is that humanly possible and like i say there like he did it numerous times so the rocket is absolutely fine with me um sam let's go with you next yeah, um, I've really, really, really struggled with this question. I must admit, I, I kept thinking of many different, uh, many different men and women. I even went Serena Williams at one point. I was really to in and fro in, and eventually, I just thought, "What the fuck am I thinking?" There's only one. <laughs> there's only one greatest of all time, and Here it we is. Go. Here it's, we go. it's Cassius Clay. It's Muhammad Ali. It, it has to be the greatest sports person of all time. It might sound like the. Uh, the cookie cutter answer, the, the the bread and butter answer, but he just is the greatest sports person of all time. Charismatic, had the chin, he could dance in the ring. It was just <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. That's such a David Brent answer. That was. <laughs> that, that's Aggie, right? You 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 didn't go championships. You didn't go big wins. You didn't. You went. He can dance. He can before, dance. Anyway. <laughs> so I did. I did add in the ring. I did add in the ring. I mean, there it's a, a shame Strictly come. It's a shame Strictly come dancing didn't exist in the seventies, isn't it? <laughs> I did. Muhammad Ali would have won it easily. It was metaphorical for his boxing. It wasn't <laughs> literal, literal that he could dance for fuck's sake. Oh, dear. Um, Silver tongue devil. Yeah, but um, one of the main reasons why I've gone for this is, is something that I don't think many people know too much about this. It's the fact that, as they say, I'm a fighting man. And he's, um, <laughs> he, is, he was a fighting champion. That's a very good, that's a very good John Fury <laughs> impression, right, by it? the way. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent John Fury impression. Got, got it down to a T. Um, yeah, so it was the fact that there's a fighting champion. Um, and I was just re- I was reading about it uh, as, as I was thinking about my answer. And uh, they were saying that, to put, put it into perspective, that over a, a span of five years between 1970 to 1975, he answered the bell 22 times to defend his belts. And then to put that into perspective... 
Vladimir Klitschko, who was widely considered one of the one of the best heavyweight boxers that there's ever been, you know, to defend for defending his belts. He only answered the belt twelve times, and Floyd Mayweather nine. So that just puts into perspective how much he was willing to step up every single time. Never really said no; he just wanted to keep the belts. And I think that's quite prevalent for this day and age, especially when you know you've got folk that are just dodging each other left, right, and centre in that heavyweight division. So, yeah, um, it, that is one of the reasons. Obviously, you've got the fact that outside of the outside of the ring. It was so enigmatic, so so bright and, and charismatic, and um, he actually refused to the, the sign up to Vietnam as well, which obviously quite famous. I know many people know that, and and for that reason, it, it was it was wasn't allowed to box in the USA for I think it was about three yeah three years, as he said. So he ended up going to Manila, rumble in the jungle, and fighting all these different fighters, and 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 making himself a bigger legend for it. I think in the grand scheme of things, so I think the whole story of of Cassius Clay. Was is an unbelievable story. It was a man of of principle, a, a man of honor, and he really stuck to his guns and and fought the good fight, as they say. So, yeah, yeah. for for me, Muhammad Ali is the greatest sportsman of all time. Yeah, and not to disagree with you. Um, just just to add a maybe a, a, a small small correction from what you said. Again, I'm not disagreeing with you whatsoever. And and Muhammad Ali called himself the greatest of all time, and and who can disagree? He was actually banned from all of boxing. Not not one person, not one state, not one country would sanction him to fight. The only fight that he had in the three year gap that he was banned between 1967 and 1970, Dawson. The only bout that he had, who was it against Dawson? What the fuck would I know? It was Antonio Inoki. And it oh, was wrestling. It was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so oh, fucking sorry, back sorry, in your yeah. box, dickhead. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> my, my bad. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it was, it was Antonio Inoki in like a wrestling, boxing hybrid. Exhibition. Exhibition. It was a very strange and, and grease palms match. But but yeah, that did happen. Didn't obviously go on any records. But from then, 1970 onwards, like you say there, Sammy, absolutely didn't look back. I think the only question and concern and maybe asterisks over Muhammad Ali is that he obviously went on too long um, yeah. towards the end it started yeah. getting a little bit sad but you know what the greatest fighters of all time do they ever know when they're really finished right no so so that's the question but yeah like you say with Muhammad Ali he'd done he'd un- wrestle with an alligator he'd done tussle with a whale he'd done handcuff lightning and thrown thunder in jail he was a bad dude let's let's not uh, beat around the bush I will go next because I am going to give Dawson his big crowning glory, and then fingers crossed, I never have to fucking hear it again. <laughs> um, I am going to go with the record-breaking, the history-making, the 16-time champion of, of the world, Ric Flair. <laughs> <laughs> Ric Flair won it 21 times, mate. That's Aww. just WWE that says 17, but there you go. Um, it is Phil, Crackle of Thunder, the power tailor. Uh, for me... I think Phil Taylor is the greatest sports person of all time. And the reason that I say that, and Ag, you mentioned there about Ronnie O'Sullivan being a seven-time world champion. Phil the Power Taylor is a 16-time world champion. Now, for me, for me, looking at that in an individual sports person, it's difficult to compare him to a team. But as an individual sports person, I don't know one other person in the world who's won as many titles, as many world championships as Phil the Power Taylor. And for me, that's the reason I've got him as the greatest of all time because how do we how do we recognise greatness in individual sports? We recognise that in world titles, right? And for me, 16 world championships for Phil the Power Taylor, I, I struggle to find how you can get better than that. Not only did he win 
the the world championship for the WDF, which is basically what it was before the B- PDC in 1990 and 92. But then 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2001, two, three, four, five. Uh, sorry, not three, but two, four, five, six, nine, ten, and thirteen. He was the PDC World Champion. He was a sixteen-time World Match Play Champion, an eleven-time World Grand Prix Champion, uh, a five-time winner of the UK Open, a six-time winner of the Grand Slam, four-time winner of the European Championship, and a six-time winner of the Premier League of Darts, as we've discussed on the podcast many times before. So, for me, purely in terms of accomplishments and 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 victories. Well, the greatest sports person of all time is Phil the Power Taylor. It's, well, it's, it's you, a quality answer. Tell you what, for a four-man band to have had a, a snooker player and a darts player um, c- complete 50% of the votes for greatest sports person is maybe controversial, but I think you've both done a phenomenal job of uh, of justifying the pick. So it's it's hard to sort of, uh, hard to, to hard to budge on those really. Um, Kemp, do, have I got the floor? Unfortunately... You've got the floor. Okay. And I won't take up too much of your time because I feel like I don't need to justify it as much. But my pick is a man that uh, holds the following stats and accomplishments that Kent mentioned there. Uh, The most career in the NFL, this is, the most career quarterback wins, the most career passing attempts, the most career passing completions, the most career passing touchdowns, the most career passing yards, most pass completions in a season, um, as well as, uh, let me just get it up, Two times a Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year, because we know that's important and it's very prestigious. AP Male Athlete of the Year. Well, Phil Taylor, Phil Taylor rock cover a Playboy twice. So <laughs> men, <laughs> men, Men's health as well, we'll see it at some point. And gay times. <laughs> that will me. Um, anyway, uh, it also holds a place in the NFL 100th Anniversary All-Time Team, the NFL 2010's All-Decade Team, the NFL 2000's All-Decade Team. He was the, uh, in 2007, the NFL completion, completion percentage leader. He's a two-time NFL passing rated leader. Is four times NFL passing yards leader. Is a five-time NFL passing touchdown leader. Is a 15-time Pro Bowl player. Is a three-time second team All-Pro. A three-time first team All-Pro. He won the NFL Comeback Player of the Year in 2009. He is a two-time NFL Offensive Player of the Year. He is a three-time NFL Most Valuable Player winner. He has won five Super Bowl MVPs and probably the most justifying pick, start, accomplishment, whatever you want to call it. But the New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers hold the record for teams with the most Super Bowl wins with six each. This player has won it seven times. And I don't know in any sport, we talk about how we rank individual accomplishments in an individual game, but I do not know an individual that has won a team trophy or a team competition more times than any team in sporting history. And of course, this man is my sporting hero. He is the man that I have tattooed on my leg. He is the man that I named my son after, and that is Thomas Edward Brady. No is it? Which yeah. <laughs> is a surprise to absolutely nobody, I'm sure. But Why based is there on no all Patrick those ac- in there? That's his full name. You just um, you just got confused, didn't you? With uh... no, no, oh, Thomas no, Edward right, Patrick no. Brady is his oh, full sorry, name. I'm, so I'm you're thinking, saying so? Thinking, uh, yeah. So so we're what I don't, saying I don't want to talk about Patrick, is that I know more? Yeah, 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 yeah. About Tom you know Brady more. than you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, I agree. Sorry, I got confused with all the stats. My my head was full. But not only is this, this is a man that 
has won all that, which I don't think anyone can argue is is absolutely phenomenal. But we go back to the underdog stories earlier. This man is not someone like a Trevor Lawrence or an Andrew Luck coming out of college who it, it was a guaranteed success, all the stuff that we see of players rated. He was the 199th pick in 2000 when he was drafted. He never really looked like he was going to be anything in the National League until Drew Bledsoe, the New England Patriots quarterback, took a, took a big hit against the New York Jets um, and Brady came on and it completely changed the, the course of his future and, of course, the New England Patriots as well. In his first full season, his second season in the National Football League, he took the Patriots on to win the Super Bowl in what is considered one of the biggest upsets in the NFL. They beat the St. Louis Rams, who were a phenomenal team at the time. Brady, in his second year, um, took them to the Super Bowl and won, and that is ranked up there, probably a top five underdog win in the NFL. And then, yeah, went on to do all those things that we spoke about. He's a bona fide Hall of Famer, is the epitome me a first ballot Hall of Famer. The New England Patriots have recently scrapped their five-year um, grace period between retiring and inducting someone in the Hall of Fame and have putting them in there. I don't know what more I can say when we talk about greatest sports person. I know Kemp, I bore you. I know you give me shit, but taking out all emotion and just black and white stats, I don't know what more I can say or how I could argue anyone else. No, and to be fair, the arguments you've put forward are unbelievable. The stats, the amount of stats you gave us are, are absolutely fantastic. The historic nature of Tom Brady's run, not only with the Patriots, but going to the Buccaneers who are on their arse and winning the Super Bowl with them, taking them to a Lombardi trophy. It's one of the greatest careers that you've ever seen in the history of sport. But he was still owned twice by Eli Manning. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> Good night, everybody. So... Yeah, I can't say anymore, really. I'm, I'm done justifying it. I'm done listening to the uh, the people that need to read a book. I'm, uh, I'm done with it. I'm sticking with it. Fair you enough, do mate. you, mate. You do Fair you. Enough. Fair enough. Right, lads, episode 73. We're done and dusted. So let's go around the room. I want to know weekends. Sam, uh, sorry, Kemp, you mentioned weekends earlier, so we'll save you to the end, mate. Aggie, you said that you had a, a weekend off, I believe. Uh, so what have you got planned if you're not doing your... Your usual sporting commitments. It stands at this minute. I have absolutely nothing planned for Saturday and absolutely nothing planned or nothing planned for Sunday. I don't know why I'm emphasising it. When I say it normally, it sounds like that. But... <laughs> yeah, they're, they're two different. They sound any difference, mate. They sound any different. Sound the exact same. And I'm trying to put you emphasis just repeated on it. yourself. Uh, yeah, nothing planned. So just see what happens on Saturday. See how I feel Saturday morning. Um, see how I feel Sunday morning. Just enjoy having a bit of a break and having nothing to do and enjoy, of course. Uh, Red zone on Sunday. I'm going to try and hopefully break the duck and beat Kemp in our loaded sport fantasy football league. The only person I've, uh, in fact, I've beat Sam both times. I've beat you both times. Kemp's the only one that I've not actually managed to get a win. Oh, baby. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Everyone's beat Sam twice. Oh, exactly. No, no, no one's taking credit about beating me this year because everyone's fucking beating me this year. So let's not. Don't brag about. There you are, though, mate. You fucking ran me close this last weekend. I don't know. Oh, no. I know, fuming, fuming to he, be fair. He, he held off, he was going to win, and then he made a late change to someone that wasn't playing because he wants that accolade of yeah. not winning the regular season game. And, and winning then winning the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. I'm, I'm coming yeah. for you, I'm coming for you all, beware. Buy yeah. it, beware. It's going to start playing going into weeks of nobody in stop, his team. I'll start, so start trying, I'll start trying once it matters, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. Enemies of the air, beware at Nilo and Morley. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Aggie, you mentioned Red Zone there. Um, Seahawks, I think, just off of a bye week. Who are they? Who have they got? Uh, who have they got this week? Um, we had the Bengals last week, but we've got the Arizona Cardinals yeah, this week. So I'm all in on our defense, on our kicker, and on our Tyler Lockett. 
Well, you said that week one was an easy win against the Rams, and I'm assuming that it's an easy win against the Cardinals in your mind. They lost to the Rams, so mate, these are completely different. The Rams at least had something. The Cardinals Ooh, have no banana skin, mate. I think it's a bit of a banana skin, you know. No, no, I won't say they've got nothing. I mean, to be fair, we're fucking shit, but they were battering us for three quarters of the game, so I won't say they've they got beat, nothing. Uh, beat Cowboys, and Cowboys are a damn sight better than your boys. So, uh, but, I think this yeah, is a divisional game, game, mate. I think this is gonna be a potential banana skin for you. You've heard it here right. first. Okay, go. well, this time next week when we're three and three and they've got another win on the board, we'll talk more about it. Correct. We, we, we certainly shall. That, that's Sam's question for next week, semi-prepped, but we'll, we'll uh, see. <laughs> my, next, my next question for next week, Adam, who do you think you are? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me, that'll take up the whole episode, won't it? <laughs> Sam, what you got planned for the weekend, mate? Um, so, trying to be a bit healthier. Uh, obviously, got my father's side in last night. Uh, felt fucking horrendous. Bad and bruised. So unfit. Need to get that uh, that sorted out. And then we're going for an oik and eat Chinese on Saturday. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What, can you do? what can you do? You just, uh, you know, you can't help it sometimes. But yeah, we'll be uh, all you can eat Chinese on the Saturday, but definitely going plenty of walks probably beforehand and maybe even Sunday as well, just to make myself feel a little bit better for it. So, yeah, probably a nice chilled weekend, to be fair. Plenty of sports I'll be watching now at the... Uh, domestic calendar has resumed uh, and yeah then obviously Sunday the Packers are back baby three weeks absence being on yeah, Sunday yeah. Denver at Denver half past nine game that'll be me and I fully expect us to win that game and if we do not win that game we are in trouble this season interesting well uh, yeah absolutely get yourself comfy watch Red Zone six o'clock and then uh, get yourself prepped uh, for a big game so you mentioned last week about bye weeks and then late games and early games and all this kind of stuff so yeah I'm sure you're ready to get proper settled in for that half nine kickoff. absolutely absolutely Kempi Manchester United are visiting Bramall Lane this weekend mate are you going? I'm not wow I'm not, I'm not going I'm not going and shall I tell you why? why? because it's seven o'clock on Saturday evening an hour before Sheffield United kick off against Manchester United UFC 294 emanates from the Emirates Arena wow. in Abu Dhabi. And I can't miss it. I cannot miss wow. it. I really can't miss it. It's Kamaru Usman versus Hamzat Shemaev in the co-main event. And Islam Makhachev against Alexander Volkanovsky for the UFC Lightweight Championship in the main event of the evening. I was hoping... There's, there's two things that have worked against me here. The, the, the time's been changed for Sky, for fuck's sake. And uh, the UFC is in, obviously, it's in the Middle East. So it's usually on at three o'clock in the morning. I'd have been fine to go to the game, not a problem. But because it's in the Middle East, the main event will be kicking off probably at about half past nine, ten o'clock. I can't miss it. I cannot uh, miss it. That's so, great surprise me, that has. Great yeah, surprise me. I, I, and I was, I was to and fro I must admit, I was to and fro I think you'll um, do them and all, by the way. I think you'll do them. If I do, if we do, I'll be I'll be full of regret. But the the plan is is to watch the UFC on one screen and obviously on the football on the other screen. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, we get we get good results across the board. So yeah, um, watching a bit of football. I might be playing a little bit of pitch and putt on Saturday. I don't think the weather's going to be fit for any other sort of golf. Um, but I'll be playing a bit of pitch and putt on Saturday as well. Um, fights and football on Saturday night. So you can't argue with that. And then the NFC East clash on Sunday with the Giants playing the Commanders at six o'clock and I'm sure a bit of shopping and a bit of Sunday dinner on Sunday as well, ready for a big week week of work ahead. And I'm hoping to get out on the bike as well because last weekend I was robbed due to COVID-19. So I want to get myself back out on there on the bike and uh, and get that fitness back to where it needs to be, Dawson. What about you, mate? 
Um, I don't really know. Um, tomorrow, probably just a chilled one, just to set the, the weekend off right and close the week off. Been a hectic week, as I said, at the start. Saturday, really no idea. I'm, I'm still 50-50 on whether to go to town. Gateshead, I'm, I'm still on the fence, but I, I don't think I will. So it might be a pretty chilled Saturday. And then Sunday is uh, is kid-free for the first time in, in quite a while. So me and DG are going to see Killers of the Flower Moon is is out tomorrow, and I cannot fucking wait. Big day tomorrow, you know, big day Friday. Peek behind the curtain. Spider Man two out, and Killers of the Flower Moon. What a day, by the way. Fucking hell, that's huge, isn't it? Yeah, I think we're gonna ask Killers of Flower Moon Moon were out yet. We might have to. uh, Yeah, me me and the good lady might have to take a trip out for that. I think. Yeah, it's it's out tomorrow, mate. So uh, we've we've managed to. Maneuver a, f- a few things to get a bit of time to go and watch it. It's three and a half hours, so you've got a, it's a fucking it's a big commitment in it. But uh, yeah, can't wait for that. And then yeah, NFL on Sunday. Don't don't even know off the top of my head who the Patriots are playing. Um, Bills six o'clock. That's why I, I didn't really think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I put that to the back of my mind. So uh, for for that very reason. So yeah, I'll uh, watch that at six o'clock. And Not cry. sure though, mate. They were lucky to beat us. To be fair, was yeah, but... was. Patriots against Bills ain't ain't the thirty and three that Brady was against the Bills in his career, mate. It's a different kettle of fish these days. Um, so yeah, mate, you've uh, had your fucking platform to speak about Brady. You don't <laughs> mention him anymore. Ne- next week, tell me everything you love about Tom Brady. That's my question. Yeah, I, I might not. I might be sick for that. <laughs> Covid might come back with a vengeance if that's what you're talking about. Yeah, so there we go. But anyway, lads, this is the first ever time that we all get to say goodbye together. We're all on the screen. Hopefully, anyway, we've, we've not seen, but uh, future us on the screens all together. Say goodnight to our, well, our viewers, because our listeners, of course, can't see you, but we'll see you next week. <laughs>